0: this week at Hope Point. And it is interesting that the wrath that you see in Revelation is coming from the same Jesus who in his three-year ministry on earth performed the first baby dedication and held children, kissed them, touched them, blessed them, saying, heaven belongs to those who have the faith of children. The same Christ in the Gospels who is gentle toward children is fierce toward his enemies in Revelation chapter six. People often think God's wrath is something that is confined only to the Old Testament. In the New Testament, they think God is different. He is only loving. The truth is, God is loving, but his wrath still exists. In his love, he provides a way for us to escape his wrath. This way is Jesus. Revelation is a reminder that his wrath is coming and that while time remains on this earth, Our only hope is to call on the only name that can save. Let's listen to what Richard has to say to us from Revelation chapter 6. My preaching professor used to tell us, and said, men, trust your schedule, your preaching schedule, that no matter what comes up in your church, the the right thing to say to your people is the next thing that was calendared to say. So the next thing on my agenda, my preaching calendar was, Revelation chapter six and the wrath of Jesus Christ. So here I am today, baby dedication, Mother's Day and Revelation chapter six, so I decided to entitle my sermon Mother's Day and the Wrath of God. <laughs> For those of you who might be new to the church today, we are looking at Revelation chapter six, and if you were to have a picture of that my clicker is a little bit busted right now. We'll see. Dan, can you advance that to the next slide, please? And maybe this would come alive. Maybe, okay. When you look at Revelation chapter six, the whole chapter is about a scroll that Jesus is opening. And in those days, scrolls were often sealed or tied with one or two. This one in Revelation six is seven ties. Every time he, Jesus unties another thread, Another judgment is released on the earth, and when he unties number six, it is his wrath, which is called the wrath of the Lamb, because the entire book of Revelation is written about Jesus Christ, who for 28 different times in the book is called the Lamb of God, because he shed his blood, As a lamb in the Old Testament was sacrificed and its blood offered forgiveness for the worshiper. The blood of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, produces forgiveness for you and for me. But we're not talking about his forgiveness in the first 75% of the sermon because the text is talking about his wrath. Because the world has rejected his holiness, the world has rejected his power, And the world has rejected his mercy. Revelation 6, verse 12. I watched as he, Jesus, opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky, I'm waiting, fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? So when you read these these verses in Revelation, these six verses, you need to understand that you are reading about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I told you two weeks ago the book is written in cycles, so the second coming of Christ that we long for occurs over and over again in the book. This is the first time that we see his second coming, but for the purpose of repetition, we will see it again. There's a reason that there is so much cosmic disturbance in this, in this um, return of Christ. You'll see you have earthquakes, the sun turns black, the moon turns red, stars fall from the sky, and this is predicted throughout the scripture that the earth will be trembling when Jesus Christ returns. It is no surprise to us that the world would react like this because when Jesus Christ came to show his mercy to Israel in Exodus chapter 19, the Bible says that when God descended on Mount Sinai, that very mountain trembled. So it's not a bad thing, but the scripture teaches us that God is so majestic that when creation sees him, it trembles. I know that experience because anytime my grandson sees me, he trembles. His little feet start going everywhere. His arms flail (laughs) beside himself. He cannot contain his emotion because rich is in the room. (laughs) So when creation sees finally... Its creator coming back to make all things right, it trembles. Mount Everest is not scared of Jesus, but it trembles with joy, as does all of creation, that it's about to be made right. But that's what shaking implies in the Bible, that everything is about to change. So when Jesus returns, there will be earthquakes and tsunamis Tectonic plates will shift below the Pacific Ocean. Volcanoes will explode. Meteors will fall from the sky. And all of these cosmic disturbances will be a signal to all of the world that the wrath of God has come, Jesus is returning, and it is too late. If you were to turn the TV on at that time, it's not like you would say, wow, honey, there's an earthquake in Peru. Or there's a tsunami in Sri Lanka. No, the whole world at the same time will be under a massive cosmic disturbance, and everybody will know that it is too late. The judgment of God has come. It will be just like it was in the days of Noah. For 120 years, he built an ark, people laughed. He and his family were safe inside when the rain, a flash flood for 40 straight days, fell and everybody knew it was no kind of water that they had ever seen before and it was too late. The key thought in this passage is the fact that there's no place to hide from the wrath of Christ. Revelation six fifteen then the kings of the earth and everyone else hid in caves among the rocks of the mountains and they cried out, hide us. From the wrath of the Lamb. From the beginning of time, people have been trying to hide. Rebels have been trying to hide from God. Adam and Eve, almost hilarious, sinned against God and tried to run from Him and hide in the Garden of Eden, even covering their bodies with leaves from plants. Sometimes you'll be looking at a a newscast and you'll see somebody that's arrested in a a big office downtown, and as the police are bringing them out to the car, they'll they'll try to cover their their faces. They'll try to hide out out of shame. Sometimes a little child might become scared at night and pull the covers over their faces because they're frightened of a noise they heard in the house, and they'll try to hide But what happens in Revelation chapter 6 is so horrible and full of terror, much more than 9-11, much more than Pearl Harbor and the invasion, even in Ukraine that we've seen recently, that the whole world will be looking for a place to hide from the wrath of Christ, and there is no hiding. It's a very odd picture that you see here when you see kings of the earth. This is kings, governors, and presidents hiding from a lamb. You don't picture that, do you? Today, when you leave and drive out in the country, and maybe if you live down in Union or something, and you see on the side of the road a fence of a pasture and little sheep there and sticking their little noses through trying to eat grass on the other side. You can't imagine looking at those sheep and running from them here in Revelation chapter 6. Everyone is running from the wrath. Of the Lamb. Because Jesus Christ in Revelation presents himself as a Lamb who is gentle to those who seek forgiveness, and he's fierce to those who mock and rebel against his holiness. You know, most of the time when people speak of the wrath of God, you get this thing of, oh, no, 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 no. No, the wrath of God was something that occurred in the Old Testament not the New Testament, but what we're looking at here in Revelation, the key person in Revelation is Jesus Christ, and it is interesting that the wrath that you see in Revelation is coming from the same Jesus who, in his three-year ministry on earth, performed the first baby dedication and held children, kissed them, touched them, blessed them, saying, heaven belongs to those who have the faith of children. The same Christ in the Gospels who is gentle toward children is fierce toward his enemies in Revelation chapter 6. You know, many people hear a message like this. I feel it already. I feel things on this stage, okay? Many people say, no, you can't, this is wrong, you can't lead somebody to God by telling them about his wrath. Well, well, we are in a problem then, because you're the ones that have told me for the past eight weeks, maybe 10 now, that you're excited that I'm preaching through the book of Revelation. It's very difficult to preach the book of Revelation without talking about the wrath of God. The book is full of it. And again, the book is main character is Jesus Christ, who told us in his earthly ministry in Matthew chapter 10, This is these are the words of the kindest lips who've ever spoken. Matthew ten twenty eight. Do not be afraid of those who can kill your body, but be afraid of the one who can kill, destroy, who can who, who can destroy your body and soul in hell. So God, in His love, has warned you repeatedly through the blessed books of Scripture, through preachers and missionaries and parents and all sorts of kinds of teachers. He's warned you of his wrath and has made provision. There is a way to escape his wrath, which we'll celebrate at the end of the message. But in our remaining time today, I want to tell you two things. First, I want to say two reasons that the wrath of God comes and five reasons that our world, our culture is surprisingly no longer afraid. Of the wrath of God. So, two reasons his wrath comes, five reasons that no one is afraid of it. The two reasons the wrath of God comes is because of man's worship of sin and the world's persecution of the church. This is why the dam breaks in Revelation 6. This is why Jesus says, Time is up. The world's idolizing of sin and their hatred of those who preach the truth. Let's look at number one first. Colossians 3, 5, put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. So this is the first indicator outside of the book of Revelation of why Jesus unleashes his wrath on the world at his second coming because of the world's love of evil and their hatred of holiness. Here, that's categorized, two giant categories, their worshiping of sexual impurity and the profiting of sexual impurity. So basically, immorality and money Greed is why Christ is coming back in wrath. So what does our culture look like now with sexual immorality? Basically is we can have, as the voice of our culture, we can have as much illicit sex as we want. And if that sex happens to result in pregnancies, then we have the right We demand that our Supreme Court tell us we have the right to kill the pregnancies that we produced by our immorality. When people ask me why I am pro-life, I hope you would be able to answer that from what just occurred on stage. Psalm 139, 13, the Bible says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. You saw those two girls. When they were conceived, they were the size of the tip of a pencil. They're a little bit bigger than that now. Billions and billions of cell divisions produced the girls that were held in the arms of their parents. In case you don't follow the news, it's possible that Roe v. Wade will be overturned. And this is all that it means. It means that nine judges dressed in black robes cannot do what they did and said they could do back in 1973 is tell the state of South Carolina that you must abort children. If Roe v. Wade is overturned, that decision is going to come back and we as voters of the state have the chance to go to a booth and vote whether or not we will allow that. It's about as fair as you can ask in a democracy. But the opportunity to give states like ours that right to vote has so angered the far radical left. Molly Hemingway, a Christian winsome writer for the Federalist, said she was walking by the Supreme Court this week and saw the anger of those who were afraid that Roe might be overturned, and she said they were so angry they looked as if they were possessed. Holding signs, kill those blanking babies. When she tweeted that, how oppressive that was to see that oppressive, possessed boldness, the first tweet response was, if I don't want to be pregnant, then vacuum that crap out of me. There is a reason that the wrath of God comes on a people. There's no more important single issue today to the radical left than the issue of abortion. This is a quote from Ben Domenech. It is an item of faith that they are wedded to stronger than any religious conviction. It is amazing where the United States ranks among the 192 countries of the world. The United States is only one of seven countries that allow elective abortions after 20 weeks. We're only, we're in this, made the top seven. And if you want to go to those countries that will allow abortions up to the point of birth, you have to go then to countries like China and North Korea and we're in that category as well in many states in the union. Interesting, the force that is ultimately driving this has nothing to do with sex, but it has to do, sexual immorality, it has to do with the idol of money. All of this is being driven by Planned Parenthood. Last year and all of the previous years, most of the previous years before, Planned Parenthood profited off of the aborting of children Per year, $1 billion. Since Roe was passed, 62 million babies have been aborted, 22% of the population of the United States. As the Bible says, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. I was reminded again this week of our culture's determination to mock what God has created surprisingly for me by reading an article written by a religion professor teaching at Gardner-Webb just a few miles up the road at Bowling Springs, in Bowling Springs, North Carolina. Near the beginning of the article, she quoted a verse that we love, the most attacked verse in the Bible presently. Genesis 1:27. so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male, and female, he created them. God in his sovereignty and in his wisdom created two genders, male, female. The beauty of the male anatomy and the beauty of the female anatomy is extraordinary, designed by God. And yet our culture has chosen to make a mockery of gender saying that it's possible for these two little girls to one day become little boys, teaching that to your children in school. It's hard to believe that a religion professor would be paid to teach that to college students this is how she gets at that. She uses this verse and she said, this comes at the end of the creation account where in the creation account the Bible says that God created fish to swim in the ocean. God created animals to walk on the land. That's all the Bible says about the creation, then male and female. And she says, using that what you call an argument from silence, but we know there are some animals that can live both in the water and the land. We call them amphibians, and therefore there must be, because of that assessment, there must be another gender between male and female. She's teaching college students. From that school, those students, some of them go to summer interns, working in churches, working in summer camps. They'll be working with high school students and middle school students and taught that the transgender movement is true because of the existence of salamanders. You might ask, why would I address those issues today when there are so many other profane issues in the world, and I'll tell you why. There's a reason. Because I've never seen Satan attack families and little children as in our culture now. I've never seen such a war on innocence as now I I cannot imagine these girls that we just dedicated sitting in a classroom when they're one or two years old being told that they may not be girls, but they may be on their way to becoming boys. You know, when we watch Ukraine and the invasion, what breaks our heart, war always breaks our heart, but what breaks our heart from what we're watching on TV is that so much of the attack is against the innocent, the vulnerable of that society. This is what attack, this is what breaks our heart with what's occurring now. Such effort to attack the innocent. One political leader years ago said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just, that his justice cannot sleep forever. So because of these things, Colossians chapter 3, the wrath of God is coming. There's a second reason that the wrath of God is coming, and that comes on the heels of the text that we looked at last week, when the Bible says that those who stand and preach such things, missionaries who go out in the name of Christ and proclaim the truth of God, that through the years many of them have been killed in the name of Jesus, and in heaven these who are have died for the cause of Christ, ask this question. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? That question was asked in Revelation 6, verse 10. And last week, when we looked at that in an entire sermon, I told you God did not give them an answer. He told them to wait. An answer was coming. I made a statement at that time. Sometimes you won't justice. All you get is a promise that is coming. The opening of the sixth seal and the release of the wrath of the lamb is the answer to their prayer. When will you come, O Lord, and avenge our blood and avenge your name? And Jesus answers by his second return and the release of of his wrath. So that's two reasons that the wrath of God is coming on earth. And I would preach a message like this today for one purpose, and that is to persuade you to flee from the wrath of God and to flee to Christ while there is time. I would preach a message like that because I'm concerned that a message like this, which should normally solicit appropriate fear and trembling, no longer does that in our culture. I'd like to share with you five reasons that people are not afraid anymore of the wrath Of the Lamb. Number one, we do not consider unbelief in Scripture to be a significant spiritual offense. A lot of people will hear something like I'm saying today and say, You have your opinion, I have mine. There are things that you sort of believe there's a God, I sort of believe there's a God. We all believe in a higher power, we're sort of all believing in the same version, but on this, we just disagree. It's just a matter of disagreeing with people. It's not the way it works. God has revealed himself in the Bible, and this is the God that people are rejecting when they say it's no big deal to reject Scripture. Revelation 4.11, the Bible says, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. You're, you're worthy to be obeyed. Why? Because you created all things. You can make the rules because you created everything and then in the next chapter talking about christ again you're worthy to be worshipped to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood with your love your blood you purchased for god persons from every nation making forgiveness possible but people look at scripture like that and say i don't need jesus christ to die for me His death was wasted. His blood was wasted. I don't need a savior. You might like church. You feel like you need church. I don't need Jesus. Can you imagine telling a World War II veteran who spent his life fighting in the Pacific Rim or with his troops walking through Europe, freeing the world from evil, walking to a World War II veteran today and saying, what you did is, not true your death was not needed your sacrifice was not needed all of those who suffered in the war to liberate Europe not needed it's a mockery of sacrifice so when you reject the Bible it's not a difference of opinion you're saying that Jesus Christ is insignificant that he's small and unworthy of your affection and devotion. Our eternal God has condescended to be our savior, to be our father, to be our helper. So unbelief is not just disagreeing with a fellow person. Unbelief is not just missing a few questions on some pop quiz about the Bible. Unbelief is a profound act of disrespect against God. Number two, why are we not afraid of the wrath of God? We don't consider ourselves to be enemies of God. Nobody walks around saying, I'm an enemy of God. The Bible disagrees. Colossians 121, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. You know, nobody says I'm an enemy of God. They just because they, they, they equate being an enemy of someone, having emotional hostility against them. And a lot of people just walk with a sort of a passive defiance against God, not active emotional hostility, just passively ignoring, passively defying, and saying, I'm not an enemy of God, and he disagrees. If you walked into a courtroom tomorrow, and you were being selected for jury duty, and the bailiff walks in, and the judge walks in and the bailiff says all rise and everybody in that courtroom rises except you. So I'm not hostile against that judge. I just feel like sitting when I've been commanded to stand. I think probably that judge would disagree with your assessment. Or look at the state, the country in which you live. You could say, I'm not an enemy of the state. Speed limit's 65, I drive 90. The law says at the end of the year I pay taxes, I lie and cheat and pay none. I'm not an enemy of the state. I imagine the state would disagree with you. So just because you're not actively hostile against God does not mean that you have declared yourself to to be an enemy of heaven. Number three, we don't see the sinfulness of our own inconsistency. Again, ask anybody that you meet, Are you good enough to go to heaven? Their answer will likely be, yeah, I am. Yet the scripture disagrees. Romans 3.10, there is no one good, not even one. The reason that we consider ourselves good is that we normally only answer that question on our good days when we're doing good things. We don't measure the entirety of our lives by the days also on bad days when we're doing bad things, we're unbelievably inconsistent, and that's what makes us guilty of not being good. Kevin DeYoung says Consider how inconsistent the heart can be. You dislike God because he's holy, yet you don't want him to be wicked and vile. You dislike God's God's justice in punishing your sin, yet you want him to be full of justice when injustice is done to you. You dislike God's power and sovereignty, yet when trouble comes to your life, you want God's power and sovereignty to fix it. We're amazingly inconsistent in how we react to God. Number four, why people do not fear God in his wrath is we believe that God will show us personal favoritism because of who we are. When you read the people in Revelation chapter 6, it's a wide gamut of people, kings of the earth, princes, generals, rich, mighty, everyone else, slave and free, hidden caves. Seven groups of people are listed in that passage. The book of Revelation uses numbers for a purpose, seven meaning the totality of everybody alive, which means no one is exempt from the wrath of God. Seven categories, seven groups of people, meaning all of civilization. The powerful are not shown favoritism just because they have the ability to bully. The rich are not shown favoritism just because they throw a few thousand dollars To some charity. The poor are not shown favoritism because they say, But I am a victim of this and that that occurs on earth. In the coming day of wrath, no one is exempt. No one. The only thing that God is looking for, not how well you loved your family, how well you ran your business not how many sacrifices you made. The only thing that God is looking for on the day of wrath is what have you done with Jesus? What has been your attitude toward Jesus Christ? Have you looked at all of the deeds of your life, though they be a million, and say, I throw them all away and don't rely upon any of them to get me into heaven? Only the blood of Christ No matter even if you did 10 million things right, you may have done 75,000 things wrong. What will wash away the stain of 75,000 wrong things? Only the blood of Christ. The only question that Jesus will ask, God will ask when you stand before him, what have you done with my son? Fifth and final reason why we don't fear the wrath of God is we consider our death to be very far away. Most everybody in this world thinks there's a tomorrow, yet there were many, many people that died last week that thought they had another day. Look at your plans. You probably already have summer plans, don't you? I have summer plans. You probably, some of you are calendared five years out with stuff. Your business has, it's the only way you can run your business. Five-year plan, 10-year plan, and that's fine. But just because we want there to be a tomorrow does not mean there's going to be a tomorrow. Everybody in the days of Noah kept thinking that this foolish man building this ark, promising that rain would come, surely he was wrong. 120 years, they laughed at him. They assumed the flood would never come. But the day that the rain began to fall, when it fell, and it was a flash flood for 40 days, and the, ark of the the door of the ark was shut, they knew that it was too late, and they did not have a tomorrow. It's been said before that the window of opportunity to come to Christ closes just a little bit every day. So as we conclude this sermon today, I, I want to look at a question that John asked, and that's how I want to answer my remarks Revelation six seventeen for the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? Or as the New American Standard Version says, who is able to stand when the wrath of Jesus comes? We just looked at seven types of people covering all of the world and all of history and none of them could stand. Who is able on earth to be able to stand when Christ returns in wrath? That answer comes from a small little peak If I may ask for that courtesy, to turn to the next chapter and to look at those in Revelation 7. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Isn't that interesting? All the people in Revelation chapter 6 were crying out who can stand in the presence of God when the wrath of Jesus comes and there's a group of people in heaven filled with joy, standing in the presence of God. All because their ultimate hope in life was the sovereignty and salvation of God. And they, they sing this as their funky song. They were wearing white robes and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, ruler who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. These are the only people who will be saved in Revelation 6 from the wrath of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful peek into heaven. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. When he returns there will be no fear in your life at all. This is the day you've been singing about all your life. This is the day you sing about today. This is the day we're about to sing about. This is the day you're praying for. This is the day in your heart that you say every time those words, Maranatha, come Jesus, come. No fear in your heart. in anybody in Revelation chapter seven, they're prepared for the wrath of Christ. And we'll see how they're prepared Revelation 7, 14 and 15, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Isn't it amazing? Again, in Revelation 6, what was everybody crying out for in Revelation 6? Shelter hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, looking for covering. And here, because they trusted in Jesus Christ and his shed blood and his sovereign right to rule the world as he wants, Jesus does not give them wrath. He gives them shelter from his wrath. You know, in the book of Exodus, when God came in wrath over the land of Egypt, There was death in every Egyptian home but in the homes of the Israelites who lived in that same land no one was afraid. There was peace in the house of every Israelite because they had put the blood of a lamb on their door. The only way to be saved from the wrath of the lamb is to place your trust in the blood of the lamb. So you might be asking today, how do I avoid the wrath of the Lamb? God has made that answer so simple. Simple. You simply run to the Jesus that you are presently running from. You run to Jesus today, now, to the Jesus that you have been running from. And everybody who runs to Jesus This is how you will be treated in eternity. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from Hope Point Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. If you would like to learn more about us or give to this ministry, please go to our website at hopepoint.org We hope you can join us again next week.